So um, this is week number 24 in our series. This is part four of our, of our mini-series on these trumpets of judgment. This week I've called this message the bittersweet gospel. So question for you, have, have I ever said anything in a sermon that made you cringe? <laughs> now wait a minute, now wait. I'm, I, hold on, let me qualify that. I, I, I'm not talking about the Joe Davis cringe. <clears throat> The one that my wife knows all too well. <laughs> I'm talking about a cringeworthy thing from God's word. Some kind of clear warning, some sort of correction, or some sort of taste a little bitter that seem to condemn, that seem that are too harsh, <clears throat> ones that cut to the heart, words that leave no wriggle room when it comes to sin. On the other side, have you ever heard something in a sermon here that was sweet and promising and encouraging from God's word? We like that better, right? Yes, me too, me too. How is it that we as Christians, knowing that we have this word of God that is both sweet and bitter, how do we know what to say and to when and to who and how? It's a hard job. So we need some guidance, right? <clears throat> Especially in a world that is primarily, for the most part, hostile to anything that God's word says, particularly in the area of sin or immorality. And that's what Revelation 10 is about, how the church has been given everything it needs to successfully proclaim both the bitter and the sweet as honey words of the gospel, no matter what happens in the world around us. We're looking at Revelation chapter 10 this week. We're going through the whole chapter. We're speeding things up a little bit. <laughs> Not really. It just happens to be I couldn't divide it up, okay? <clears throat> I mean, I couldn't find a good place to cut it in half. Let's read it. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud, with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun, his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand. He set his right foot on the sea, his left foot on the land, he called out with a loud voice like a roaring lion. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. When the seven thunders sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, and the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay, but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then I heard the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go, take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel standing on the sea and on the land. So I went... And the angel, I went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll. And he said to me, take it and eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey. So I took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and I ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach was made bitter. <clears throat> and I was told, you must again, and that Greek word again actually means repeatedly. You must repeatedly prophesy about many peoples, nations, kings, and languages. You know, these passages in Revelation are not getting simpler. They're getting more complex. 
but we're here to tackle them. Look at the history of this passage. I've called the history section Thunder and Honey. I think that's a really good title. That could be like a song, right? Like, like a grunge song, Thunder and Honey. Gannon, you could play that. <clears throat> so do you remember that in between the sixth and the seventh seals, there was this interlude right between the, the, the seals, uh, the, trump, the judgment in the sixth seal and the judgment of the seventh seal, which is the day of the Lord. John stopped and had an interlude and he talked about the 144,000, which is the church on earth, and then the multitude in heaven, which is the church in victory, and how they were all sealed. And he was talking about us and how we're all sealed from judgment. The point of that interlude was to encourage Christians, no matter how bad it gets, we are sealed. Well, John uses that same literary tool again here between the sixth and seventh trumpets of judgment. So these interludes, and you'll see some more of these in Revelation, these interludes are like, like if you're watching a movie and it has a main plot and it's getting really intense, <clears throat> and then suddenly the writers or directors cut away to another scene, right, to give you more information. A break in the action, if you will, of all these descriptions of judgment. And these interludes, when they take place, they're not commercial breaks that you can fast forward through. They're actually very important for us to stop and read, you know why? Because they are meant specifically for us as followers of Jesus. We are to read them as loving, intimate, encouraging reminders directly from Jesus to his chosen, to his sealed, to his redeemed. That's why you need to listen to this interlude in chapter 10. So first, let's look at the seven thunders. So I'm going to try something <clears throat> unique here. I hope it doesn't fall flat. I, I hope some of you guys are hip. Um, so the phrase seven thunders would immediately trigger for John's readers a musical connection to a very famous song about God's voice. For example, and if you, if you can, I want you to echo with me the words that this reminds you. So, all right? Just a small town girl. She took the midnight train. Good, 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 good. I, good. Just a city boy. Yes, yes. He took the midnight. Yeah, good, good. All right. Whew, that worked. So no lie, I'm talking to Pastor Daryl this week, going over my notes with him on Friday morning. And I said, Daryl, what do you think about the illustration? He goes, what song are you talking about? <laughs> Daryl, are you serious? He goes, I've never heard it. So I played it for him and his wife says, yes, you know, just listen for the chorus. And he listens to all four minutes and he goes, I got nothing. <laughs> so I got a little worried. Everybody's heard that song, right? Don't stop believing by journey. Well. This is what would happen with the phrase seven thunders. It would invoke in John's readers an immediate recital in their minds or maybe even humming in their heads this song of the seven thunders. And I'm going to read it for you. I'm not going to sing it because I don't know what tune they would use. But you're going to see some, <clears throat> you're going to see some fascinating things. It goes all the way back to Psalm 29 verses 3 through 9. I want you to see something. I've put in little superscripts after every description of the voice of the Lord. Are you ready? One guess. How many think there are? Uh, yeah, very good. Okay. <laughs> the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. 
The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. That's number seven. And then this would be the chorus, the famous chorus, like don't stop believing, hold on to that feeling. This would be the chorus. And in his temple all cry glory. So the way the songs were written in, in, in Psalms, the way they're written, they would give you the verses, and the last verse is usually the chorus you say in between. So they would sing this by, they'd sing the first description and then, and in his temple all cry glory. Then they'd sing the second one, and in his temple all cry glory. They would know this song. This is a very famous song about the voice of the Lord. And when John says the seven thunders, they all go back to this song. So you see my superscripts with the seven descriptions of the thunderous authority of the voice of God. The readers know what John is saying. He's saying he heard with those seven thunders the actual voice of God, and that is who is speaking in this passage. Then we see this other thing historically, this idea of eating God's word or eating the little scroll. This Also, this image of John eating the scroll, it might seem bizarre, but for them, it would trigger a very well-known idiom throughout the Hebrew Bible. See, John's readers knew that when he says eating the scroll, it means that he is to read it and to study it and to memorize it and to meditate on it so that he would know it well enough to proclaim it. As a matter of fact, there are probably 30 verses that talk about eating God's word and it being sweet as honey or being bitter. I picked one in Ezekiel 3, verses 1 through 2. Look at this one. Son of man, eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat and I ate it and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. You see what he's supposed to do? Eat it and proclaim it. There are dozens of examples But eating God's word to them immediately would symbolize intentionally searching and studying. It is what we try to do each week here in community. Why we spend time or why I spend time during the week studying and researching so that we can come together and eat God's word together. Sometimes it's bitter, sometimes it's sweet, but we do it faithfully. So that's the history of this passage. Those two things are important. What about the theology? What about God? What does he do and why and how does he do it? This angel is sent from heaven, and he is an angel with authority. He's described with many of the same symbolisms that are given to Jesus. I don't know if you picked that up. When Jesus was in the throne room in heaven, there were descriptions. But is it Jesus? His voice is the seven thunders. Oh, voice of God. That's one clue. He's wrapped in clouds, which all throughout the Old Testament, the clouds is a symbol of God's presence. There's a rainbow aura around his head. We saw that, did we not, in the throne room? In Revelation 5, there was a a rainbow around the throne where Jesus was sitting. It's always been a symbol of God making a covenant with his people. He has one foot on the sea and one on the earth, and he has another hand raised to heaven. This is always used in the Hebrew Bible as symbolizing dominion over all creation. He has a face like the sun and legs like pillars of fire. All of this symbolizes the light of truth and the authority of that truth to judge right and wrong. 
He has this little scroll in his hand that clearly has important stuff in it. <laughs> I mean, you know, the angel's not going to come down from heaven with a scroll full of, you know, Doonesbury cartoons. <laughs> it's fascinating, right? So we'll look into what's inside the scroll more later. I think you're going to love it. <clears throat> but boy, this sure sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? But it can't be. Because Jesus does not return to earth until after the seventh trumpet for the final judgment. Who else is sent from heaven with this type of authority besides Jesus? I believe that this angel is the comforter that Jesus promised the church. Look at John chapter 16. First part of, we're going to look at uh, John 16 twice. The first thing is verses 7 through 9. Here's what Jesus said to the disciples. It is to your benefit or your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Look what the comforter does. This doesn't seem like a comforter's actions, does it? When he comes, he'll convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Because the ruler of this world is judged. So quick spoiler, verses 8 and 9, that's the bitter words in the little scroll. Judgment, conviction of sin for those who refuse to believe the gospel. Then we see something else. He says that there are parts of what I was going to write, John says, that the seven voices said that, that won't be revealed yet. But don't worry, John. I, the angel from heaven, promise redemption is no longer delayed. This is part of this private conversation they're having. John is hearing this voice, these seven thunders, and he says, wow, this is really critical stuff. This is like all the secrets that we've all wanted to know. I'm going to write them down. Uh-uh, John, don't write them. That's going to be revealed later at the seventh trumpet when Jesus returns. Look at John chapter 16. <clears throat> Verses 12 to 15. It's the same passage we just read. It just goes to verse 12. Look what he says. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. See? We're, keep it sealed up. See how this is connected right to John 16? When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. He was speaking with the voice of the Lord. Do you see that? Isn't this cool? Look what he says. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All the Father has is mine, therefore I said he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And what are the sweet honey words in this little scroll the angel's carrying that John eats? I believe they're verses 13 through 15. All the Father has given me will come to me. All of this means what the angel's telling John, look, you can't know how it's going to end, but the kingdom of heaven is now. The seal has been opened. Here it is, John. Read it. The comforter sent by Jesus is carrying the scroll of redemption that Jesus has unsealed, and he gives it to John, and this is just beautiful. And what is the message? Look, I know these 
Six trumpets have been horrifying to read about with the locust army and all that stuff. And despite judgment and all the horrific evil in this world, you are to be comforted. You are to be encouraged to stick with it because you know what? The word is getting out. Are you ready for this? Look at math, back to Matthew 24, our favorite friend in Matthew 24. Look what Matthew 24 says. Because lawless will, lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. And I can say, I see this everywhere in the world, don't you? I see it in politics. Everyone's angry. I see it in churches. Churches are angry. I see people triggered everywhere in all camps for anything and everything. Love has grown cold in this last day. But look what's happening while love is growing cold in verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Then the end will come. What did the angel tell John at the end? You will repeatedly prophesy to nations and kingdoms and kings. I mean, this connection is undeniable, right? You can see that. But there is a sweet And there is a bitter. You know, as we said, this scroll is bitter and sweet. As John reads it, some of its words are honey. Some of it is bitter. Question for you. Can you think of someone else in the book of Revelation who brought sweet and bitter truth from Jesus through John? Do a hint, because I know you want one. Several verses, Revelation 2, 7, verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 17, chapter 2, verse 29, chapter 3, verse 13, chapter 3, verse 22. Do you guys remember what was happening in chapters 2 and 3? Do you guys know what we studied? Here is the verse. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Who's speaking? The Spirit. Remember these letters? Those letters had promises for those with ears to hear the Spirit, but also, if you remember, the letters to those seven churches were full of correction and instruction and warning of judgment if you did not repent. you guys remember that? And who was speaking? It is this same Spirit in Revelation chapter 10. And this interlude that we're seeing in chapter 10 reminds us, as evil and darkness grow in this world, Jesus' plan in that little scroll will not be hindered, and it will not be derailed, it will not be delayed. This interlude reminds us, no matter how dark things get, the Comforter will bring all that the Father has given to Jesus into his fold. This interlude reminds us redemption is not all roses. Sometimes it is sweet and sometimes it is bitter, but we must repeatedly proclaim this gospel, this little scroll throughout the age. That's really cool theology, right? You see all that connection? I'm so thankful that the Holy Spirit has been sent, aren't you? Look at the personal part of this. I'm talking about proclaiming the bitter and the sweet. This was the sermon preview this week. For every soul, the gospel will be either bitter judgment or a promise sweet as honey. Did you know the gospel is for everyone, even those who don't believe? Because the gospel isn't just about forgiveness. It's also about condemnation for those who do not have faith. The gospel is bitter because we want to know all of it, but some of it is concealed. Wouldn't you like to know? Would you? Tough. You have to wait. The gospel is also bitter because it has warnings and conviction and judgment. When you're confronted with your sin, do you think, man, this is sweet as honey? 
No, at first like, oh, this doesn't taste very good. But now for those who are followers of Jesus, even that bitterness in the end also ends up sweet as honey. Because we know it ends well where Jesus will defeat evil. The gospel is as sweet as honey for those with ears to hear because we are sealed and we are redeemed. We will overcome and we have a powerful message that we eat to proclaim. But even with the honey, it's hard living in this world and we need the presence of Jesus constantly. Don't we? Question, how is it that he's with us today? Look at Matthew 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Doesn't that sound a lot like what John was told in Revelation 10? The voice of thunders of authority and go proclaim. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always. And how was Jesus with them all? He sent the Comforter, the Spirit of God, to the end of the age. And why is the Spirit sent? What is this passage called? You guys remember? It's called what? The Great Commission. This interlude is tightly connected with Matthew 24 and the commission in Matthew 28 about making disciples of all the nations. And the Comforter from heaven with the authoritative voice of Jesus has brought us this truth in the little scroll that we must eat it and meditate it and proclaim it And sometimes its words do not always sit well. Sometimes these words are corrections. Sometimes these words are commands to repent, and they are bitter to our stomach. But its promise to those who have ears to hear what the Spirit says always end as sweet as honey for us. And we will overcome. Back to verse 11 of our passage. You must repeatedly, or again, prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. I'm just going to leave this up here for the rest of the sermon so it will sink in for you. We have a job. I mean, the whole church has a job, but I'm talking specifically to my precious, beloved Grace Life family. We have a critical job. Our job is to eat and proclaim everything the little book says. Not just the honey, but the bitter words too. Our job is to declare the entire plan of redemption, the bitterness of judgment and the sweetness of restoration and forgiveness. But the bitter, sweet plan of redemption isn't always easy to proclaim to all the nations, is it? That message of judgment sets us at odds with many in the world. Proclaiming to all the peoples and tongues and nations and kings that they will face judgment if they don't repent is not a very popular market-driven message. (laughs) Warning a world with no desire to repent that they will be held accountable is not sweet as honey. It is bitter. I can hear the world. Who do you think you are? God is going to judge me. What about you, you hypocrite? Oh, I thought God was all love. See, I can understand why some churches are tempted to edit out the bitter and focus only on the sweet words. I can understand. I don't don't judge them. I really don't. I can understand. But the words of the scroll or the gospel are not intended to be market tested or edited to make redemption 
more palatable to the human spirit. You know what else the gospel is not? I hate to break it to you. The gospel is not a self-help book. It is not a self-improvement plan. The gospel declares that we are completely, totally depraved. It points out our sin and that the only solution is a call to repentance and restoration through faith in the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. But then there's the other extreme where some churches resent bitterly those who reject the gospel or those who might hate us for proclaiming all of it. Maybe we vilify these people, we shake our heads at them, but those are the ones who desperately need the bittersweet message. Those are the ones we're called to love. These are the ones the comforter from heaven with the little scroll in his hand and the voice of thunders is prompting us to proclaim this bittersweet plan of redemption too. And so the church, while it can't get sucked into just editing out the bitter, the church can't get sucked into being bitter itself. Political, angry, resentful, obsessed with fixing the world. That's not the job. Let me say it again. Fixing the world is not the job. Fixing this country is not the job. The church can't get sucked into leaving out the bitter parts of the gospel either. That's not the job. The job is proclaiming the gospel, its condemnation and its redemption. Man, I got to tell you. So when I was a coach, you know, I coached football and basketball for like 20 years. It was a big part of my ministry when I was a young man. And when my teams would face adversity during a game, during a tough game, you know, and things weren't going our way, my job was to try to keep them focused and drown out all the noise. I remember a time we were in a, a game in another part of the state. It was a playoff game. It was loud. It was ruckus in the gym. You could barely hear because we were, you know, we, we were hanging in there, but it was getting tough. So I, mean, I called a timeout to calm them down, and I just brought them all over to the huddle, and I, and I said with a smile, don't you love sports? I said, don't you love this? This is what it's all about. These tense moments are why we practice so hard. That's why we learn what we do and then we do it. So here's what I want you to do, guys. Who cares about the score? Don't even look at the scoreboard. I mean, don't get me wrong. I want to win. <laughs> but for right now, drown all that out and just to the best of your ability, do what we have learned to do together and practice to the best of your ability. And no matter what happens, I'm proud of you. That's what the Comforter's doing here. He is sent from heaven by Jesus with the scroll. Man, we need him. So, you know, grace life has proclamation. There's that honey side, I think, that our food pantry and what we do with the young ones and grace life kids and grace life recovery on Mondays. There's many ways that our church has learned, has learned how to love and care for others, and we're going to continue to learn more in this building. We've got the fall festival and other things, and, and there is that honey side of what Grace Life does. When we provide a safe place in our congregation for people to be imperfect, a place for those who have been wounded by church to heal, that's all honey. When we proclaim the gospel and those that have ears to hear what the Spirit says, believe and come to Christ, that's also honey. 
<clears throat> but grace life also with wisdom and guidance from the comforter also proclaims the bitterness in the redemption scroll. We do proclaim the words that convict the heart of sin, and repentance and correction, the command to believe in the gospel of grace. As a matter of fact, both are happening right now in this room and throughout the week. <clears throat> this is our job. This is our focus, not all the other stuff. That's why we eat the words in the little scroll, God's word, so that we can know it and proclaim its bitter and sweet parts to all the nations. Hey, let me ask you something. How does this plan of redemption taste to you right now today? Is it bitter? Does it make you nervous? Or is it sweet as honey? Dear Jesus, thank you so much for sending the comforter with the voice of authority. Dear Lord, thank you so much that you have provided for us the comforter with the truth of the gospel. Lord, first of all, we confess to you that we struggle with laziness. We do not eat God's word enough. Sometimes we just open it and glance at it. Mm, that looks tasty, and then we move on. We don't really eat it. <clears throat> Lord, first of all, through your spirit, through the comforter, give us a desire to eat your word. The bitterness and the sweet. Dear Lord, we pray that as we do that, that you would give us the prompting, the courage, the motivation we need to proclaim it repeatedly to the nations. Lord, help us to be faithful, not to leave out the parts that might be a little bitter. Because we know the world is an absolute spiritual, moral mess. It's full of people who are hurting, who are angry and resentful. And Lord, it is tempting sometimes just to leave out the bitter parts, but that's not what you've commanded us to do. So Holy Spirit, Comforter, give us wisdom and discernment to know what and when and how. And when we get distracted by all the noise, when we're struggling, maybe we're down by a few points with a few minutes to go. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would huddle us together and keep us focused on what we've learned. Now, Lord, we do want you to return. We pray for that. We look forward to that. But until that day, we will proclaim the bittersweet gospel to the end of the age. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys, we love you. Have a great